is the On Call Podcast. Your home for sports, news, pop culture, tech, and the obscure. And of course, your host, Michael Myers. to the On Call Podcast. This is your usual host, Mike, but you'll notice in the audio there is no lull. But we do have a great doctor from uh, our great neighbors up north. This is uh, Dr. Rob, who was in a very, very early episode of this before I even knew how to even do any audio. So hopefully you guys enjoy this one. We're going to discuss some politics and besides politics also the things going on in, in the countries uh, healthcare on either side of the borders it's a good time and hopefully you learn a thing or two i know i did have a good time and enjoy an interview with dr rob tarswell we first talked like my third episode of this uh, show and you talked about that, the relief that you guys had and the efficiency of your testing. Yeah. How, what kind of relief do you guys get? Like, like the, the commoner, because like you have the, uh, you're traditionally not a commoner. Like for us, you'd be upper middle, you'd be upper class because of the uh, facility. How much relief is provided to a lower middle income person in Canada, do you know? The, so the, the, um, you're thinking specifically of the bank, the direct, the direct payments that came out. Correct. Cause we had yeah. one $1,200 stimulus and right. we've had four months of talking of our politicians saying, Oh, we're going to pass this. We're going to pass this. And then, you know, Mitch McConnell has shared it so they could enforce, uh, Barrett to be put in the Senate, the, the seat, and right. that's already gone through, but it looks and stop like, talking about the stimulus. Like, oh my God, what are you doing? Yeah, right? How, how dare we try to help the people that lost their jobs during this? Let's get the Senate. Yeah. Squared so away. our relief program, which came out pretty rapidly as we saw that businesses were shutting down and people were getting laid off, was two thousand dollars a month or or five hundred dollars a week, and that huh. kept on rolling. And so there was relief for individuals. And there was relief for business owners. So business owners got relief through tax credits and um, individuals got relief through direct payments. Uh, that, those programs all stopped. And now a bunch of new programs are coming along, which are going to be very similar in the neighborhood of $500 a week again. Um, so <clears throat> we're kind of waiting to see how that all shakes out. Um, I haven't, you know, I've been fortunate. I've been working, so I haven't needed those benefits. I mean, I'm really glad they're there because this is how you keep demand alive, right? Um, if, if, if there's no source of demand, the only source of demand comes from the government and comes from public stimulus. So yeah, we've, you know, we've, we've ballooned our debt, but it's in the form of direct payments to people. So 
who cares? Um, we're keeping we're keeping the economy alive. We're keeping restaurants alive. Um, and we also here in BC, we we did a lot of things that were uh, initially, I think pretty smart, which was like, okay, let's close indoor dining, but let's keep takeout open. Um, If we maintain these rules around distancing, we can kind of keep businesses open. So there was this um, effort underway to kind of minimize, take a light hand on regulations to stop um, the spread of the virus and to maximize liberty as far as possible. And then to kind of put the onus back on us as individuals to, okay, look, folks do the right thing. So it was, it was a lot more faith based, like, Hey, we shouldn't be doing this. So I'm going to let you choose whether or not you're going to do this. And they more or so less did that. And it more or less worked out. We're now at a stage now where we're hitting, uh, you know, we have a population about 5 million and so for us, we're hitting record-breaking numbers. I think we had 230 cases today, and the public health officer. Yeah, sorry, sorry guys. Uh, I know yeah. everything sounds so tiny next to the American wildfire of cases. Um, and uh, the provincial health officer kind of came out today and said, "Look, if we can't get this turned around, we're going to have to start." ratcheting up regulations again uh and so you know we'll see what happens come monday because i have a feeling that the freight train is building up momentum not losing momentum so Our- you guys are <laughs> consider yeah you're considering ramping it up at such a small amount because you don't want it to be us we're the force yeah we don't, don't yeah it. we don't want to kind of go northern italy or manhattan or many many places in the united states right eighty-three thousand for us and we have well, see, driving around through work today, I drive about 100 miles a day. And wow. I saw two to three Trump party can- uh, people on the side of the road waving their flags and promoting Donald Trump just to people on the side of the road waving their flags. And it's just like, I don't know what you guys think you're seeing. I, do, I, don't, I don't get it. Right. I... Yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating watching watching American politics. Um, what channels of ours do you get? Oh, all of them, all of them, right? So we get Fox, we get CNN, we can get OAN. You know, in the in the era of internet streaming, you could just get everything, right? I was so, curious. Like we we, I don't even we don't like we don't get your Canadian broadcast network. Okay, you probably you could probably stream it if you went to cbc.ca. Uh, you could. You could find the streams. I am curious to hear about like what your most mainstream news channels say about us. Yeah. Because we can't even get our, our news systems to agree on anything. So like, okay, we have Fox okay. news, which everyone knows Fox news, which yeah. technically now isn't even considered a news, a true news outlet. They have to, they've had to rebrand themselves as a, entertainment news because they've already admitted nothing that they say can be deemed as accurate. Well, I was absolutely fascinated when that court case against Tucker Carlson um, and Fox's lawyers argued that no reasonable person would believe Tucker Carlson. And the judge said, yeah, it makes sense to me. I can't no defamation. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) So yes, our most right wing 
news <laughs> conglomerate, Mr. Murdoch, has been found to not be deemed reliable in any way, shape, or form. And because now that they deem themselves an entertainment news, they don't have to have any accountability. Yeah. I, I, I secretly, I wonder if like Australia secretly hates America and Fox News is their revenge, right? Because Murdoch's Australian and he lives in Australia. Be. It has to be. And the amazing part is Murdoch hates Trump. Um, have you let your senior people know that they maybe should change their editorial tone? I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. I feel like at this point they are truly going for ratings because it's of all of our that's got to be it right it's got to be it uh although interestingly enough did you see that about a one and a half to two minute rant that was making the rounds on twitter today where lou dobbs has just had enough of lindsey graham no i didn't see that yeah lou dobbs of all people right um mr anti-immigrant except for the illegal immigrants that i employ in my mansion dobbs um just going on and on about how Lindsey Graham is a faithless uh, yeah. and, and toady and uh, has not served his president. And he can't imagine how anybody in Carolina would vote for, uh, for Lindsey, uh, for Lindsey Graham. I and I'm just it. like, it, it, wow, welcome it, to the resistance, <laughs> Lou Dobbs. <laughs> of all people, you're correct. Because I did see in the most recent polls that, Lindsay's not projected to win. Well, that would be amazing. That would be absolutely amazing. I would just love it. Um, I, what, what would, I, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to think back in my adult life. I'm trying to remember a United States Senate without Lindsey Graham. And I can't, I like, he was elected first elected so long ago that yes. I, it was before I even had basic <laughs> political consciousness or awareness because I just, you know, as a Canadian, I didn't have to care about American politics. Now we all have to care, but we don't have a voice. And we're all terrified that you guys are going to reelect Donald fucking Trump. The the educated ones are scared of that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, interestingly enough, the um, now, although I think, you know, I uh, 538 finally has me convinced that. Trump has to do a lot of rough uphill sledding to actually pull this one off. And like these numbers are looking so catastrophic for him compared to Clinton this far out from the election. Um, How old are you, Dr. Rob? uh, 51. 51. So let's see. He's uh, he's 45. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of how far back that you actually had to pay attention to American politics to the, that it affected like Canadians. Yeah. Uh, Um, It's a good question. We, I mean, I was in the air force for a while. So uh, when I was, when I was serving in the nineties, I would pay close attention to us politics because a lot of us strategic decisions would have a direct impact on Canadian strategic decisions because at a military level, uh, Canada and the U S are hand in glove. And that somehow has, has stayed the case. Uh, NORAD is, is, is strong. There's a good defense network all around North America, and this is good. Um, my, my first, so my, my first actual political memory was Reagan getting shot. I was in grade seven and I, uh, remember hearing about it on the news and then finding out later 
that the guy he shot was trying to impress Christy Brinkley and, um, and was just an unwell man. Right. Um, and still, I believe is in a, is in a forensic hospital and very likely because of who he took that shot at is going to die there. Right. And I remember the Brady bill. And at that time, that just not being all that controversial. Right. I remember, um, I don't remember Reagan, of course, being the governor of California because I didn't, I wasn't alive then, but it was not that surprising that then governor of California, Ronald Reagan, who brought in arms control at the urging of the NRA was like, basically like pretty okay with the Brady bill when his own press secretary got shot in the head. All right, this all makes sense, but now unthinkable, right? Completely unthinkable for a right-wing politician to not bow down and lick the boots of the American gun lobby. The stuff that was so unbelievable in the eighties is a daily basis. I mean, other than, you know, getting shot in the head, but the outlandishness and that there's no accountability for anything in political office now on our side. Like you, uh, I, I apologize. It's Trudeau right now, right? That's right. That's right. I appreciate listening to his speeches. He was yeah, right. He was, just, <laughs> he was just on Reddit like yesterday, and he's just he seems so much more down to earth and likable than what I have to deal with on a daily basis. And it's here, yeah, yeah. Well, and he can speak in full paragraphs. It's lovely, <laughs> right? I wish I, I I wish I could take a class on how to speak for five minutes without saying anything incriminating or honest and people believe me yeah right you 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 you'd you'd go far you'd go far in those in those united states of america there right because you watched the election uh, the debate yesterday because we were i did yeah so we the united states has so many differences from canada and it's uh, they're getting further and further and you, every time that you tweet about something, I realize, like, man, we have just fallen so far from who I thought we would be as a nation as I got older and understood more of it. Yes, fair. Health care. The fact that Donald Trump has been speaking about health care in the debates the first time with Hillary and to say that he has a plan in place and he's using that same point yesterday is astounding he has no plan yeah <laughs> i remember <laughs> i remember the debates with hillary the plan we've got the plan it's complete i remember him in 2017 saying that shortly after you know february 2017 like you, you know it the the it's it's shiny he's the shiny new president at this point right okay uh, let's see the plan and then may 2017 and then september and the plan, it's new, it's going to be beautiful, uh, you won't be excluded for um, pre-existing conditions, and then meanwhile, he's actually trying to, like, work the courts to get to get that eliminated. It's just, like, it's amazing, bare-faced, stone lies that are the yeah. absolute of what, he, absolute opposite of what he's actually doing, and half your country can't get enough of it. <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> like, he 
again brought up and, and crapped on socialist uh, reform in all ways, shape, or form yesterday. So in a, a socialist healthcare, even just socialist healthcare, I don't understand. I've had so many patients, diehard Trump supporters, even I talked to a patient just yesterday who was COVID positive, who was touting the Donald Trump Jr. book and, and forced me to read the table of contents. <laughs> who is a patient that is on Medicare. And I was like, oh, Medicare, that's a great socialist healthcare policy. Don't you just love Medicare? Oh, we love Medicare. We can't imagine not being on it. And I was like, you don't see the issues here that you are trying to support someone who does not support at all <laughs> what you are using. So, and your healthcare system in Canada you're truly socialist. You don't have any pre-existing issues, right? Like you, no. every, every single person has healthcare there, right? Correct. Yeah. If anything, we would be, um, if you looked at all the, the OECD nations or the developed nations, right? Mm -hmm. Canada has the most constrictions on private healthcare. You know, we probably overly constrict healthcare. It's probably something like a a frightened reaction to what's going on in America. Right. But you go to say, you know, Britain, Germany, Switzerland, and they've got public private blended systems that seem to work pretty well and actually get better health outcomes than Canada at better prices. So there seems to be kind of a zone of sweetness where true, you can kind of middle. optimize outcomes efficiently and economically. But in Canada, we're like, no, we don't want anything to do with that. Right. And so, um, a major court case just concluded here in BC, although it's heading off to the Supreme Court of Canada, oh. where there's a, there's an orthopedic surgeon here in BC called Brian Day, who's trying to make the argument, you know, look, if, uh, if somebody is on a wait list for a public benefit and they're mm -hmm. suffering while they're on that wait list, shouldn't they have a constitutional right to access healthcare privately to get hip surgery, knee surgery, and um, so the, the judge more or less came down on the side of the government and said uh, no. Um, but what's interesting is it, in Quebec a number of years ago, there was a case where a guy who was on a waiting list for a hip replacement um, sued for the right to be able to go to a private clinic and get it done. And in that case, that ended up in front of the Supreme Court of Canada. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, this, um, this is a charter violation. This guy can't be denied the right to access health care privately if he wishes to. So Brian Day's case is going to end up in front of the Supreme Court of Canada. And we'll see what, what comes down. But um, it's, it's, it's a very big deal, right? People are really, really scared that this means the end of Medicare. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of breathless hysteria flying around on both sides. And I think it's just driven by story after story of medical bankruptcies in the U S or these crazy million dollar hospital bills. And everybody here is like, ah, is that private healthcare? I don't want that. <laughs> uh, you probably shouldn't be afraid of that. Cause once I, I don't think, you Canadians would have near as much to worry about once you let a little bit of privatization in right? until the ignorant are louder than the intelligent, quiet ones, which is what we've seemed to be 
we have a saying here when it's the silent majority compared to the loud ignorant and it is something that's gaining ground like you don't see a whole lot of biden support until you know that person and they talk about like oh yeah we don't talk about wanting biden to win because the hate from donald trump is just so as soon as someone sees a a biden sticker in your car they will attack you for it Damn. So that we tr- there truly is, I think, here a silent majority, and that's what I'm truly hoping for come November 3rd. Mm. Stay informed where you're at, and I do think you guys do much better with your press, press coverage. So as long as that stays good, I think you guys are going to be safe because I don't – once once you have socialistic health care, it's hard to go back from it because – my insurance is almost 600 bucks a month for me and one child. And aye, aye, aye. I can't even use it for like dental. My dental is like wow. 12 bucks a month and it doesn't cover anything for a child. No pediatric dentist dentist will touch a child without cash in hand. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't think there's any way that we'd go back. Uh, you know, there's the, and uh, I think, uh, you know, there's, I mean, and there's examples of where you can do it wrong. So Australia, I think, blended it pretty badly. They had a similar, very system, a system very similar to Canada's. And then in the last 15 years have begun privatizing it, but they did it in a very kind of ham fisted sort of way. And it did lead to things like uh, all the surgeons going like, oh, I can make a whole lot more money in the private hospital and get more operating room time. Goodbye. <laughs> so, um, I think if you're not careful, of course you can do it badly. You can do anything badly, but you can also do it the way they do it in Germany or the way they do it in Switzerland or the way they do it in Northern Europe, um, where they get good health outcomes, have longer lifespans and are happy. But I I guess in Canada, we shouldn't complain too much. I think we just, you know, came out on top in the UN livability surveys again. So, um, you know, maybe we're not at some kind of ideal, but we're not very far from there. So um, maybe people are right to say, nope, hold the line. No, no private health care. Uh, I think you guys are doing well. The day, the day, the day decision will end up in the hands of the Supreme Court of Canada and we'll see what it means. Um, and also, you know, on the COVID front, I, you know, I was initially, I was pretty happy about Canada's response, but somebody pointed out today that if you look at developed nations, Excluding America. If you look at developed nations with populations of over 20 million, we're number three in terms of cases and deaths. So, you know, behind uh, Great Britain, Italy, Canada's coming in there number three. So we don't have a ton to brag about. Uh, we just, I think, again, that, that, that America reality distortion filter makes us think that we're doing great. No, no. Hong Kong's doing great. Taiwan is doing great. Japan is doing great. Um, Indonesia's doing great. Canada, not so great. I'm trying to think of what Hong Kong did because I did. I remember t- the news outlets talking about that years. They truly l- would lock you up too, though. Like they would, they forced isolation much more than, say, we did. Right. I'm trying to think of what Hong Kong actually did. Hong Kong, I don't know, but say uh, an example like South Korea, which was pretty excellent. They had that early, you know, they had that massive super spreading event from uh, a, a woman who belonged to that really tight religious cult where they all lean shoulder to shoulder and the church services go for hours. And then she went for a buffet lunch. And this was after she'd been directed to go home 
by public health officials because she just had her test done, didn't have a result, but was really symptomatic. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And was directly linked to 1,100 cases. And that led to the first big explosion from those 1,100. And now when you go to uh, South Korea, there was this really great piece in the New York Times, somebody who, who traveled back home to Korea, right? They, they, you've got a, on the airplane before you land, okay, where are you going? Who's going to be responsible for you? What's their phone number? They call them to find out, okay, are you a real person? Is this person coming to live with you? Do you take responsibility for them in a, in a, in a robust legal sense? You download an app on your phone. Um, if you can't, if no one can take responsibility for you, okay, you're heading off to the isolation hotel, but the isolation hotel comes with food and an allowance and we're not going to let you just starve there. We're going to take care of you. Not a bad gig. That's the missing piece, right? Uh, if you're going to if you're going to isolate people at the border, well, you know, <laughs> give them food and water. <laughs> so yeah, might at least take care of them a bit to make sure that they're not going to starve and get pulled away from their families. Like, we like right? Or, or they're going to, you know, hungry people. They're going to go out looking for food. <laughs> That's right. They're going to try and get out of the hotel. I would. Right. Yeah. So it's that kind of understanding that, well, you know, if you're going to impose somewhat draconian measures, you got to backstop that with support. Otherwise it just falls apart. That's completely fair. Like, yeah, you can't expect everyone to give everything that they have and then not provide them some sort of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, right. So, uh, and then, um, and then the other things that, that that the countries that are doing really well, they've been on the um, aerosol. They've you know they they've assumed this is an aerosol transmitted virus from from much earlier than we did in North America, and I think we really kind of dropped the ball on that point, one. Yeah, it's like yeah. so avoid enclosed spaces, have ventilation, have uh, HEPA filtration. These aren't these messages are much older in places like Hong Kong, Japan, Taiwan than they are here. So, and, th- and it's, it's, you know, it, that's born a lot of fruit because a lot of the bad spreading is happening in indoor, indoor places. Right. And also they were on masks from day one back in January, whereas it took us a while to kind of like sift the evidence. And then um, and now the, the, you know, the cultural change has been really slow and that's been, you know, poisoned, by the American political divide around masks, particularly around, you know, American libertarians who I think get on board here. What's that? I'll let you know when we get on board with masks here because yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's just, it's absolutely amazing to me that now Eamon Bundy is, uh, has taken on the cause of masks. You know, it's a, it's a fucking piece of cloth (laughs) on your face. Just put it on. It's so easy. There is umpteen of the coolest companies providing you with something. You can have, like I do, I have one custom made with this emblem on it. And I can wear it and nice. show it off. And it breathes so well. It just prevents you from coughing on somebody. Just, it's not right? that fucking hard. It's not hard at all, right? Uh, and I love all these libertarians talking about a violation of their freedoms, you know, as they get into their F-150s and put on their seatbelts and drive away. It's like That's right. I re- Really? Really? Oh, the government's not going to control me. Yeah, but you know what? Oh, the government can't do this and that. You have a social security number, you're owned by the government. As soon as you get a social security number, (laughs) 
you're a license to print money. Yeah. And yeah. Here we are. Uh, um, there's a, there's a fantastic, you know, Alberta is kind of the conservative America of Canada and mm-hmm. they're the province right next door to us. So we're just <laughs> watching uh, in fascinating, fascinated horror as the to watch them fall off like Florida. as the as the Alberta <laughs> government just completely um, throws a grenade into the middle of uh, of healthcare and uh, record numbers of doctors are closing their practices and leaving Alberta because of their minister of health who actually showed up in a doctor's driveway uh, and threatened to fight him because of things that the guy had said on Twitter. It's like. Okay, that's that's over the top. Um, I think now if he showed up in, I think now if he showed up in another dog, and this was like early on, right before they'd gone, like just just wild with the kind of unilateral restrictions they've been imposing on Alberta doctors. I think now he might find that there was a fist heading at high velocity towards his face if he tried the tried the driveway trick with another doctor. Yeah. So I think he's smart enough to not try that again. Um, and I saw this bumper sticker oh, no. on a, an Alberta vehicle and it said, I don't believe in airbags. I want to die like a man. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> of all the hills to die on. Yeah. 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 And you just, just imagine, imagine, you know, the, 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 the two groups of people, group one, people who put that bumper sticker on their cars, group two, people who buy Kevlar body armor and go play soldier in the forest on the weekend. These are the same people, right? (laughs) Okay. So you want Kevlar body armor in case you get shot, but you don't want an airbag so you can die like a man. Yeah. We're going to stand on the steps of our state governors and try to, overpower we're going to kidnap our the, the governor of michigan like, we have so much fucked up stuff going on yeah that's 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 amazing and wasn't a guy just arrested today who managed to get within four miles of joe biden with a like a van just packed full of ready explosives to, and weapons yeah so it's like wow yeah and this is the thing right you you push out toxicity and People are going to respond to that toxicity on an entire distribution. A lot of people will just shrug it off, but there'll be some people who feel like it's their job to take on this apocalyptic mission for their God emperor. The amount of people that I've talked to like, oh, I'm not that politically intelligent, but I'll be damned if I'm going to let someone tax my guns or take them away. And it's what makes you think that they're going to take away none of none of our blues none of our blue leaders have ever ever actually tried to take away a gun all we have ever tried to do is make sure that they're not crazy before you get it that's it but the nra has always made it they're gonna take your guns you got to vote for donald trump because joe biden's gonna take your gun right right yeah how what kind of do you what sort of gun control do you have where you're at because ours you can just walk to a gun show and buy an AR-15, an M-16, a Glock, a shotgun, whatever you want. You can walk in with 400 bucks and walk out with something. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, totally different in Canada. So in Canada, there is no constitutionally enshrined right to firearm ownership. That's not a thing here. So owning a firearm is a privilege. It's very much like getting a driver's license. 
So you've got to take a course and you've got to pass the course and then you get your firearm certificate and then you can go to a gun shop. And before they can even like hand you a firearm to examine, you've got to literally show them your firearm certificate. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But apparently this is just too much of a burden. (laughs) And there are now uh, nut job gun rights groups who uh, who are arising in Canada. Some are even saying there absolutely is a right to gun ownership in Canadian law. And the Supreme Court has grossly misinterpreted the law of blah, blah. So 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 there's now just this like essentially millimeters away from sedition, like this kind of seditious campaign to try and make these complete phantom arguments that there are firearm rights in Canada. There are no such rights. Like literally tomorrow, the government of Canada could say, okay, that's it. You can't have guns anymore. Uh, And they could pass that law. And there's like really nothing anybody could do about it because I mean, people would try, they would try to make some sort of argument under our charter of, uh, of rights and freedoms, but you're not going to find the gun right in there. You're going to find, you know, the, the, the free speech, right. And, the kind of the sort of things you might find in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights at the United Nations, but uh, you know, I'm sorry, there's just there is no right. Uh, it's a responsibility, and it's a responsibility that many of you, uh, speaking to Canadians, uh, you know, the the American example proves itself every day. But there, <laughs> there, are, there, are, there's no shortage of irresponsible. Canadian gun owners. And um, it's not that surprising that a lot of our gun crime relates to legally owned firearms that end up in the hands of uh, unlawful actors because, hey, guess what? That gun safe you uh, you left open, oh, that was a problem, right? Or that gun that you just kind of left in your nightstand when your house got broken into, well, that turned out to be a problem. <laughs> And, you know, and, and the, um, uh, you know, we have no shortage of uh, suicide by firearm happening in Canada, right? Okay. So it's, it's not an insignificant problem. We have fewer mass shootings, right? We don't have zero. Everyone, but everyone has less than we do. Everyone, man. <laughs> the whole planet combined, I think, has less than you guys do. Maybe, yeah, I, I don't know, Chechnya? I, I don't know who would have comparable comparable kind of gun lawlessness. Um, de fa- not de jure, but de facto, right? I do um, with you on the, the, yeah, the mental I don't know. Tests. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm so, I don't know what the, the per capita is at suicide by gun. There's just too many of them. And the mental health issue, I think, is the biggest reason why Democrats have tried to instill their beliefs in gun ownership because crazy people do crazy things with guns. There should be some sort of mental health check or a safety check or anything like, hey, if you're being treated for this psychosis, depression, bipolar disorder, you probably shouldn't have it because if you're bipolar, you're likely in a manic episode going to make a mistake. Those are the things that Democrats have tried to control, but that's what Republicans have used as the, they're going to try to take your guns. Yeah. Yeah. And then after, 
Uh, and then after a mass shooting, uh, uh, it's the first, it's the first group with the crocodile tears about, well, if only there was access to mental health services. Oh, I brought that up many times on this show. Okay. <laughs> Our lack of ability with it to provide any sort of mental health care is astounding. We are mm. barely even tertiary as far as mental health services. Right. Working in home health and trying to get social works or even a neurologist to see a patient is it's damn near impossible. You're looking at three, four month wait to get in and see someone, even with our wonderful privatized healthcare. So good luck. That's it. That's all I tell you. All right. We'll get you in in four months. Try not to kill anybody till then six months. And, and then if you do get diagnosed with something, we have no way to trial medications because as everyone who works in healthcare knows, we barely understand the brain and you're going to, provide a drug well those drugs don't interact with your brain chemicals immediately and then when you have to go off of them you have a weaning process and we ha- we have nothing we have nothing and it's so disheartening mm. to consistently mm. work in healthcare and try to help someone who does have those episodes and mm. realizing this now further into healthcare I go and the further more divisiveness we get, I don't see any which way that we will become a primary healthcare coverage. We, I don't see us ever providing any sort of adequate mental health. Like, so, so what do you guys, how, how is Canada's mental health care? Cause like ours is just abysmal. Like it's disheartening to deal with. Yeah. So in Canada, I think there are there are multiple layers to to mental health care. So if somebody is having a mental health emergency, it is uh, not that difficult, at least where I live, to to see a psychiatrist. So in so for an urgent matter that doesn't involve the emergency room, there are programs in place within um, Vancouver Coastal Health that can get you typically in front of a psychiatrist within 48 to 72 hours. Um, at least for an assessment and then for a period of, of short treatment and stabilization. Uh, if it's a mental health emergency, you can get to the emergency room and typically at minimum, you'll be assessed by a psychiatric nurse quite often by a psychiatrist that day. Um, the folks who have to wait are the folks who have the more kind of moderate to mild difficulties. So I'd say moderate's the word because mild, you go to your GP, uh, you can initiate a course of treatment there and GPs are perfectly competent to handle um, 80 to 90% of, of psychopathology because most of it is mild depression, mild anxiety, and then some degree of struggle with substance use disorders. So once it gets to the level where the GP doesn't feel comfortable, but there's no dangerousness and the person is say functioning, going to work and depressed, then you're looking at a weight. Then um, this is where our system has, uh, has difficulties. So each GP, they'll have their own psychiatrist they refer to. There's no kind of centralized way to refer somebody to a central service where they can kind of get spun out to the first available psychiatrist. Although efforts to set up um, systems like that are regularly discussed and sometimes attempted. Um, 
But generally speaking, a lot of GPs won't even bother trying to get somebody a psychiatrist until things get urgent because it's just pretty difficult to get a private psychiatrist in, uh, in the lower mainland. And I think that that probably is reflective of what's going on throughout much of the country. So emergency, urgent situations, that's, that's pretty well covered, but anything below that. So like the 95% of people who are having psychiatric distress that are not that, um, that for them, it's tough. They have issues. So it's only an issue. Yeah. I have five, I mean, even 5% Nick, that's still better than what we got. Cause what we do is we just Baker X someone, and then put them in a psychiatric hold with any, without any rights because they're deemed uh, an imminent threat to themselves or someone else. Right. Which I assume you guys would have some sort of similar. Yeah. So across Canada, they're, they're you know, because uh, under the Canadian Constitution, healthcare is provincial. So each province will have its own mental health act. And within each act, there will be various criteria. But they're, they're broadly, they're broadly similar everywhere and it usually comes down to dangerousness dangerousness to self dangerousness to others and that dangerousness to self could be suicide or it could be say in bc risk of serious decompensation and then that's either with um with competency to make treatment decisions without competency and so if somebody you know is is involuntary involuntarily admitted and also uh at least acutely not competent to make treatment decisions Okay. Then they can be compelled to be admitted to a uh, uh, a facility, a desi- what's called a designated facility, which basically means a hospital with a psychiatric inpatient unit, Ability and then treatment can be initiated. Yeah, what's that? Like constraints available and yeah, uh, a physician available around the clock to right to make sure. Yeah, okay, yeah. We got that. yeah. So you have you have like a like a fifty one fifty, which we have, which is when a patient wants help but is an imminent threat. And then there's a Baker act where the patient is not cognizant and they will hurt someone and are not deemed reliable. Like their word means nothing. Okay. So like those are our two basic things between a Baker act where they're going to hurt themselves and they're not aware of it. And then a 5150 realize that they're a threat, but they need help. Don't know how Mm -hmm. to get it. Okay. 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 So we both, looks like both of our countries need mental health help. We certainly need some kind of way of helping folks at the primary care level um, get that access. And it's not clear whether the issue is not enough psychiatrists or whether it's the organization um, of psychiatric availability. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Um, I do think it's not we, something that's been solved anyway. I, I do think we well, like uh, in my area, we do have a need because we have roughly 25 to 30,000 patients that are deemed with depression or other psychiatric needs. And we have three physicians within oh, wow. 75 miles. So we have a catastrophic need. So 8,000 to one. Yep. So good luck. That's why we do have such a long wait. Which okay. is why we do try to push that on to a primary care physician. Yeah. And a primary care does not do well with psych needs. Like, oh, you're on Denepazil? Keep it up. Good luck. Right, right, right. So we don't have enough resources available 
Yeah. That's where I'd like, I do think primary care would just education and like our de-escalation techniques are garbage as well. So if we have some, if we have a patient that's having issues, who's coming? The cops. Well, you can just need a, you just need a GED to become a police officer. They're not going to understand the threat at hand, which has led to a lot of failed de-escalation techniques, which leads to violence to mentally ill patients that it looks like police mm-hmm. brutality. So I realize they are being brutal, but it also comes from a lack of understanding. So I do think, yeah, educate. Education, I think, is one of the strongest things that would help a lot of our issues from our side of the border. So I don't know. No one, no one talks about the, the Mounties and whatever other police violence you guys have going on because we're on the front of the news every day. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good question. I think uh, certainly they're, they're, it is not, you don't have to go very far to find examples of police, Canadian police encounters with acutely mentally ill individuals that lead to violence or fatality, unfortunately. And um, that is a, that doesn't appear to be changing. Um, And that's, that's really unfortunate. Um, I think that, you know, we're kind of, kind of straying off topic here but uh i think the 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 idea of making of coming in with a mindset of demanding immediate compliance and escalating the level of force if you don't get immediate compliance is completely unsuitable to somebody who is in acute psychiatric crisis um it's only going to escalate the crisis and before you know it out comes a taser Oh, that didn't work. Oh gosh, I guess we have to shoot him now. And, um, it's absolutely, it's to my mind, it's reprehensible. Um, whereas if, you know, somebody who doesn't have firearms available, but knows how to talk to people and knows how to just like listen and let somebody in crisis decompress and form some kind of an alliance that, um, that's surprisingly effective, right? That's what we do in the hospital. We're not shooting people in the hospital who are in crisis, right? We, yeah, we um, do in a pretty advanced state. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, where are we going with that one? I don't know. Oh, just, you know, it really, it's mental health. Like, that's where it started and I devolved oh, us further. That's I right. We were going to talk more debate stuff. And I did... I did devolve you a bit there, and that's okay. I'm okay, for that. Uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, no more. So, bringing it back to the debate talk. Yeah, what is? Do you guys have a, a minimum wage? Through is it the government or like provinces? Like provincial. The minimum wage is provincial in in Canada, and it's generally below the poverty line. I think our minimum wage. Okay. is well, unacceptably ours. low. Um, and it, it varies considerably. And of course, you know, even if you have one minimum wage, the, the, the money you need to live, say, in downtown Vancouver versus the money you live, you might need to live in Hope 
which is a very small rural sure. community, um, you know, about a hundred miles east of here. Um, the the disparities are considerable. <laughs> so uh, even even though it's provincial, you know, it's 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 still it's too low, and I have no idea what's going on in uh, in other provinces. Yeah, all of our states have uh, separate minimum wages. Realize some lower than others. I do think having a mandatory minimum would do well because the proposed Biden minimum wage is actually more than double of the state that I grew up in. Wow. So yeah. So he's one, he was, he's, he's talking about $15, right? And I don't think, I really don't think that's out of line, especially if there is a bit of tax credit for small businesses. If you can mm-hmm. control the small businesses, because similar to our, was it the PPP that came out? the start of the pandemic where it turned out a lot of giant corporations broke off all of their uh, cheesecake factory, a huge national chain used each of their little restaurants as a small business. So they ended up getting several million dollars for their giant corporation. Mm. We have, we've had really shitty oversight. Yeah. A state minimum wage, a, a, federal minimum wage would do wonders. I realize every state is different, just like the Hope versus Vancouver. Yeah. But at least it it brings a chance, like a chance right. for the poor to get there. Yeah. I mean, I realize I make, I make way more than minimum wage. And I realize where I live, if I mm-hmm. had to survive on minimum wage, I don't know how I would even work at McDonald's and not try to slit the throat of the person that I'm giving their Big Mac to because to know that they're not making a survival wage and they have to work three full-time jobs to try to provide for the family and a, a living is just astounding. Yeah, yeah. Our minimum wage here, I think, is is, is $8.60. eight sixty. Uh, yep, yep. So. <laughs> Princely. <laughs> And that's, oh, my, I, I don't know where you can find it because a one bedroom, one bathroom apartment where I live is about $1,100 a month. That's not cheap. So I know someone who's making minimum wage has multiple people living in there. So living rooms are bedrooms Oof. and bedrooms are bedrooms for multiple people. So like, why someone is trying to dispute a federal minimum wage is ignorant. It's the only thing I can think of. It's like, yeah, it's criminally under undervalued what minimum wages. Right. Right. Well, the, I think the argument is always that, well, this will force small businesses to go bankrupt because they won't be able to pay their people. Whereas when we look at the Seattle experiment, that didn't happen at all. Didn't that grow? Didn't that lead to a yes. boom in the economy? Right? Yeah. Because like- when everybody's suddenly making a lot more money, where do they spend it? Small businesses. So suddenly your top line revenue is going up and you have no problem paying your people. That's, and that's what I, I, I do recall. This, what was that? When did that get initiated? Was that 2016? I forget. I forget. It's been a few years, but yeah. It was yeah, successful. And, uh, there, was no, um, there was no wave of bankruptcies. 
Exactly. So, you know what? Even so, there was this Seattle experiment. We'll throw it to another another large city or even a small city and see how that works. Like, keep trying. If you don't want to make it a huge overwave of every, we have several million square miles of country. Do experiments on like let's try to let's try to help the small guys succeed. I don't I don't get why that's an issue. We do government experiments and people you know we throw all these money in drug trials. Go ahead and do an economic trial. Sure. Yeah. 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 Spend one B two bomber. <laughs> yeah. On your people. <laughs> yeah. You know. Go ahead and experiment with uh, UBI somewhere. Let's get that basic income and see how everyone treats everyone around them, knowing that they can survive on a, a wage that you know. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to talk about, what was it? Hold on. I had it written down. Okay. And it was actually a a quick point too. All right. No, actually it was was a mockery. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Since you, since you are watching, how do you feel about Donald Trump calling himself the second coming of Abraham Lincoln? Oh, I loved Joe Biden's response to that. The, the funny part is, of course, Dan, Donald Trump, like he always does, he always stays in this quantum superposition. He never collapses into making a definitive statement about anything. He lets yeah. you make the inference that he wants you to make, and then he encourages that. Um, but he himself tries to very carefully avoid ever saying anything directly. So then he can always say, you know, why did you say such a terrible, <laughs> horrible, unfair thing? Why would you know about me? Um, and Joe Biden's great moment, you know, was Abraham Lincoln here is the most racist president in the history of the country. <laughs> now, now there's some tough competition there. So I don't know if Donald Trump is the most racist president in the history of the United States. There were actual slave owners who have been presidents of the United States. <laughs> That's true. So, um, but he's, he's certainly, he's yeah, promoted, I he's think promoted, he's, yeah, if nothing else, he's promoted it more than any other president in the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he, you know, he easily cracks the top 10, possibly the top five. I don't know if he's the top one. I don't know how you quantify that, but um, it, it absolutely amazes me that uh, Donald Trump compares himself quite favorably to <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Um, it, 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 it absolutely absolutely amazes me i i just i just sort of want to at at, at at a minimum the thing you want to say is well you know do you remember how that ended yeah for abe <laughs> <laughs> is that what you see in your future mr as good or better than honest abe <laughs> considering how much he promoted the south carolina protests where those there was good people on both sides during the kkk rallies Ooh, I'm thinking yeah. you're probably not on Honest Abe's side. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, dear Lord. Um, so, yeah, that's just, that's just, it's just so bad, it's hilarious. Like, it's just frankly hilarious when Trump goes on one of his uh, Lincoln spiels. So, so it was just delightful to watch. Anyway, I'll Joe I'll, Biden uh, just... <laughs> slap him with that. I don't know. I'm surprised there weren't more mic cutouts because he really was still, he would wait till towards the end of the point to interrupt and then demanded to speak. Yeah. I wish there were still more shut up. Let's we're stopped. 
But the nice part is, I mean, uh, what were the final figures? Like mid thirties to mid fifties in favor of Biden having won the debate. Yes. I had seen he had gone from like 51% to 57 was Joe Biden and approval yeah. rating. And Donald Trump went from 34 to 33. Great. Just great. You know, I, 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 the possibly strangely enough, the, the best thing to happen in a generation for progressive politics in the United States has been the administration of Donald J. Trump. <laughs> yeah. Because he has to- angered and energized so many people. We had a record turnout for pre-voting. So I'm, yeah. there was a four-hour wait on day one of early voting here. Wow. And I couldn't wow. believe it. We had, I think, 30,000 votes in my little town because we've only got, we have two voting centers. Yeah. We had four-hour waits on each. Which is encouraging because I don't even know if we utilized it last time. So, yeah, nothing else. It at least got people to rock the vote. So the thing, yeah. So the thing I love, the thing that I really love is that 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 gives me hope is that you know progressives in America are as angry as hornets, and they have to do something with that. And it's launched uh, like a number of really great political careers. It's led to this voter action. I think there's kind of. I don't know. It was almost like a, a kind of a complacency within oh, yeah. American progressivism set in under Obama one and two. Yeah. Uh, and all the state legislatures went away mm-hmm. and the, the, the Democratic apparatus just kind of withered uh, somewhat, if not hollowed out completely. But wow, that's not happening now. Yeah, liberals <laughs> are the notoriously the worst voter turnout. So everyone can love a Democrat and then not vote for it. Right, right. I think that's going to change. We're probably going to have, I truly believe we will have the highest voter turnout probably in American history based on population growth and everything else. In absolute numbers, it seems to be the case. And, you know, like, my God, I would just love to see uh, a Reagan level event for Joe (laughs) Biden. I would love to see Joe Biden get 400 electoral votes, like bring it home. Break the the wall. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited I'm I'm curious to see because he's never said he would leave peacefully. A Donald Trump loss in the White House. I'm curious how that would turn out if he would really like dispute it. He's he's already there's already been talks of his people in his camp saying if he loses, he's going to dispute it. And Joe Biden saying, well, I'm not going to relinquish it. If I won, I won, which would then put what Nancy Pelosi to run the as president for the temporary while we finish the vote. I'm curious to see how he would deal with the fact if he lost and he would have to be escorted out by MPs. Like it would be a pretty. It'd be awesome. If that happened. that's not going to happen. No. I think he's just going to wilt like a pansy yeah. and sneak out the back and <laughs> try to get to claim he was a victim of, uh, fake news uh, of, of Russian democratic, vote Burisma and he'll start, he'll start his TV network from some country that doesn't have extradition to the U S so that he can escape justice. I had never heard of the Ukrainian Russian democratic ties until a few weeks ago. Yeah. Right. It's absolutely amazing how they're trying so hard with this Hunter Biden laptop 
and it's not sticking at all. Well, it doesn't help when every federal, every, every federal agency is like, I don't, the only source we have is Rudy Giuliani, who's playing with his privates in front of some fake news reporter on the Borat movie. Who he thinks is a 15-year-old girl. <laughs> You're right. I undersold that. You're right. He thought she was 15. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, there's this great interview today with Sasha Baron Cohen uh, and that actor whose name I, uh, okay, I, I completely blanked on her name. This probably and he was, she needs to and he was, he was basically waiting in a hideout to just kind of spring into the room at any moment. He was very worried for her safety alone with Giuliani. And uh, that's why things stopped right when they did. He really and, stopped. And Borat jumps in, stop, she's too old for you. <laughs> He's, you know what? I'm not a huge fan of his comedy overall, but like the fact that he is willing to push the envelope to that sort of degree. Yeah, good for you. You deserve an award to, if nothing else, even if you weren't trying to be that political, you made it that political. And yeah. you at least showed some of the scum and brought light to it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I really liked Borat. I liked Borat too. I strongly recommend it. Yeah, yeah, it's already streaming, baby. Damn, Get on gonna... Amazon Prime. It's there for you. I'll put it on. I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah, All right. Fine. <laughs> yeah, it's not even 11 o'clock. Hell yeah. Yeah, you got time. It's only an hour and a half long. Oh, perfect. So, Dr. Rob, I truly, truly appreciate you coming on with me again. Yeah, you bet. I I just love following you on Twitter because you're really good at pointing out uh, sources that I probably wouldn't have found otherwise. And it's very helpful to understand because you can only get the sources that you really have. And if you don't know where to look, you don't find it. And using your your Northern alliances helps me a lot to see how everything's going elsewhere. And glad to be of service. I, I really hope to keep talking to you some more and uh, communicating on Twitter. And are you still doing, what are you going to plug? Are you still doing stuff with Joe? Fulton? Yeah, we're still doing vital transmissions every Sunday night at seven Pacific. So Perfect. 10 year time. And that's uh, uh, at uh, Joe Fulgham's uh, Twitch channel. So twitch.tv slash Joe Fulgham. Yeah, Fulgham, was it with F-U-L-G-H-A-M? Fulgham, yeah, Joe Fulgham. <laughs> Look it up on Twitch. And yeah. you know what, you guys have a good time, and you guys do your Discord games and everything. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. This has been the On Call Podcast, and you guys have a great night. And uh, all right, I will talk to you again, Dr. Rob. I can't wait. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the On Call Podcast. Check us out on Twitter at On Call Pod. Interested in being a sponsor or want to be on the show? Drop us an email at oncallpod at gmail.com. For more info, go to oncallpod.com.